Revenue sharing in college athletics? We'll tell you the proposal the Collective Association gave to the NCAA and SEC in an article by Ross Dellinger. Also, we look at the Ole Miss front seven and we take your viewer questions right here on the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are Locked On Ole Miss, your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Sign up there. Subscribe there. Um, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ole Miss every day. It's a lifestyle. Hello, I'm Stephen Willis, and this is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. we got a lot of stuff to get to today, but first, before we get started, our brand new Discord community has launched. We even have like former players, parents, and all that going into it. But what we're going to do is we're doing an open invitation to basically put that out for the next month. After that, it will be invite only. And things like our Twitter spaces and that stuff is going to go to our private board to where you can handle, you can participate, and you can join this community. But right now, it is an open invite type situation. And for you to join our Discord community, you can take advantage of that as we speak. Now, let's move on. There's an article by Ross Dellinger where he was talking about revenue sharing, possibly in college football. And here it is. I think it was on Yahoo Sports. And it's while Congress and the NCAA squabble, the NCAA collectives lead the push on revenue sharing. Now, you remember my show from like July 4th when we talked about collectives and how I was, hey, I'm pro-death penalty because the NCAA can only control eligibility and things like that and membership, and that's something that state laws can't really get in the way of. But Walker Jones, who is the head of the Grove Collective, has a different approach. He's a much more carrot approach to where if you're revenue sharing and you agree to be governed by these rules, um, this is the way they can do it. And we'll explain exactly how it will happen in the coming minutes. Name, image, and likeness is at the center of a two-day stakeholders meeting that began Tuesday. While no report or legislation is expected immediately from the gathering, administrators and invited guests hope to examine NIL in a way that produces answers. And let me assure you, that way is not going to Congress. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. One group was not invited to the meeting, but believes it already has some answers already. It's the Collective Association, TCA, a group of seven of the richest donor-led collectives in the country, and it's preparing to take the next step in converse, conservation, conversation. While college administrators squabble over legislation around NIL, leaders of the TCA are focused on what many believe is the next evolution of athlete compensation. Interesting, right? So... Members of the TCA pre presented a revenue-sharing model to the NCA and SEC officials last week in separate meetings, <clears throat> which illustrates the urgency for answers from high-ranking figures within college athletics. The proposal is merely a general framework of a plan that calls for using tev television network money to compensate athletes. According to the proposal, which was shared with Yahoo Sports, a portion of of the television revenue distributed to conference would be directed 
to a de designated collective at each member's school in equal shares. The collective would then distribute the money to the student-athletes, using its status as a third party as a way to avoid triggering athlete employment, um, they said. It's pretty interesting as well. Collective members held meetings with the SEC Associate Commissioner, William King, who oversees legal affairs and compliance, as well as the NCA Managing Director of Academic and Membership Affairs, Jeff Silver. Hibbs declined to confirm specifics of the meeting, only describing them as positive. The two officials were open to further collaboration and conversation with TCA leadership. The NCA spokesperson would only confirm that a meeting took place, and SEC spokesperson did not even provide comment. We're almost done with it. This is a lot of reading. I understand that. But this is kind of a heavy minutia thing. Collective leaders plan to hold conversations with officials from other leagues as well. Four Power Five conferences are represented among the group. There are three from the SEC, the Classic City Collective from Georgia, Spire Sports Group from Tennessee, and the Grove Collective from Ole Miss, two from the Big Ten, Champion Circle from Michigan, and Happy Valley United from Penn State, and one from the Pac-12, soon-to-be Big Ten, and House of Victory, USC, and one from the ACC, the Battle's End, Florida State. The seven collectives have combined to distribute nearly $70 million to more than 1,500 athletes, according to the figures they provided. Officials expect to grow the TCA by more than a dozen members to more than a dozen members eventually. That's interesting. That's kind of some news broken there. In conversations with both the SEC and NCAA officials, collective leaders have made it clear that they absolutely hold similar views as the athletic administrators. They want to be regulated, believe fair enforcement is necessary, and they support the creation of a nationally uniform NIL policy as well as an agent registry. People are afraid to endorse or have dialogue around these things like revenue sharing, says Walker Jones, the CEO of the Grove Collective. But we can stick our heads in the sand or we can talk about it. A win for our group is let's have these discussions and poke holes in things. Let's challenge ideas and thoughts. Now, this is an interesting situation because, like I said, it rounds you off fourth. The, the opposite end of the spectrum is like the death penalty becoming a measure of enforcement in the NCA because you will never have a situation where the NCA does not control the eligibility of athletes and the membership of its members. Those two things can't be joined and and being in the NCA is not a right. So if they decided to kick you out, there's nothing you could do about it. State law or nothing, there's nothing you could do about that. But this carrot approach, and you saw that, where Walker Jones mentioned that they want to take a portion of the television money and earmark that for the collective to pay the athletes. Now, there's probably other holes that come from this, but it's a start. One of the holes is the people that want to donate to the collectives and be very well run, all it does is just drive the price up of everybody because now everybody has this baseline amount of money. The other thing is for schools like Ole Miss, it probably does them a favor by giving them a little bit more of a bankroll and advantage over, like, say, the ACC and the Pac-12. It's pretty interesting to see, though, and I want to see exactly how Ole Miss moves forward and how the TCA moves forward and NCA and all of that. 
the one thing that is absolutely for certain, no help is coming from Congress. There's NIL bills that get kicked out for basically, I don't know, PR wins from time to time with their constituency, but they never make it out of committee. I think 10 of these bills have been brought up and written over the past two years, and it's never gotten out of committee. Hadn't even gotten to a four vote. And I don't think any of these would get to a four vote because if it did, and let's say at the House they voted it through, they got it through, it would have no chance of passing the Senate and vice versa. So we do need to think of a way that we can handle this ourselves. And one way we can do it is Walker Jones' idea of a carrot approach in revenue sharing to help monetize the collectives. Now, like I said, it could open up several other problems. But there's not a whole lot we can do about it at this point because the genie is out of the bottle. The toothpaste is out of the tube. And we need to figure out a way, not necessarily to rein it in, just to just make it acceptable. In the article, they talk about NIL, these collectives, have about three years of this being sustainable. And that's it. After three years where three or four boosters are feeling the full brunt of all athletes in coming into your university and paying for everything, that is going to slow way down. Now, we might view that as a good thing. Now, there could be some great inequality that develops over it, but you have to think that everybody is going to kick, quit getting excited for paying for athletes. You have to think that is coming. But Walker Jones is doing a fantastic job. He's trying to do the subscription model to where you can sign up for as little as $20 a month to the Grove Collective to kind of help him budget the money that he has coming in. There's different tiers that you can join. Just check that out. It's thegrovecollective.com, thegrovecollective.com. Um, they do a pretty fantastic job with what they're doing. Let me put the address up right there. And if you understand what's going on and what makes the collective and why this is all important. You will understand why I'm putting this address up right now. Because there might be situations where team, teams always need more. You never have enough money. But you can always have too little. And the goal is to make sure a place like Mississippi, which is not one of the most wealthy states in the United States of America, I think that's the understatement of the millennium, um, is in a place where it can punch above its weight. Walker Jones was on the show and he talked about making $3 or $1 spend like three. And that's kind of the strength of the Ole Miss people and all of that. And we have a very ambitious collective Walker is a fantastic front man, and we'll see exactly how that goes as well. I do want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business, and you want to be 100% certain that you have the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Now, we all know how to create a social profile. It's second nature at this point. We got 20 years in. So create a social profile on LinkedIn and then go in and add a purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. 
that lets the people know that you are in fact hiring. Then add your job. Simple tools like screening questions and that make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can experience quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. We're also available on YouTube. Give us a subscription there as well. Now, before all the revenue sharing came up, I was going to lead the show talking about our front seven and specifically the starters in our front seven. And I'll tell you all the depth that we might have coming down the line in that front seven. Now, if you look exactly what will happen, and I'm just going to put this straight up, this is a basic diagram of what the defense will look like. I got three defensive linemen down, which are the three true defensive linemen. You got Cedric Johnson, that's kind of a hybrid defensive lineman and linebacker. You have Monty Montgomery, Jeremiah Jean Batiste, then Latarius Tennyson. I'm labeling him right now as that hybrid outside linebacker safety player. He's a very physical run player. He's one of the box safeties that this team had last year. And you might look at it and you're like, Steve, why did you design this the way you did? And it's because I wanted to distinguish between true defensive linemen and hybrid players because I think that's important with this Pete Golding defense. Cedric Johnson is lined up to be the jack. That is the Will Anderson position of this defense. Now, Cedric Johnson weighs about 15 pounds more than Will Anderson did last year. So is he going to be asked to lose some weight? Is he athletic enough to do what needs to be done? And basically, depending on the defense that is called, Ole Miss will either be in a four- or a three-man front. You won't be able to tell the difference because the defense lines up pretty much the same. But you can have a situation where Cedric Johnson drops back in pass coverage or tees off rushing the quarterback, the stuff that Will Anderson did really, really well as a dominant player. I think that is the linchpin key position of this defense. We'll be able to see exactly what this team is able to do based off of the production of that jack position. It is a major, major important thing. Now, J.J. Pekis, in my opinion, he is a tailor-made three technique. And when I say three technique, I mean similar to what like Pere Jerry was or players like that. Not the nose guard, the other interior defensive lineman. He playing, um, was it off the shoulder of the guard or something like that? Um, he is a tailor-made to do that. He's a super athlete. He's actually caught a touchdown pass or a two-point conversion pass against Mississippi State. He's an athletic guy. And left to his own devices, he is going to take up a double team. He is going to soak up a double team. If you look at those front four players, the player that I am most comfortable with saying is going to be doubled is J.J. Pegues. And that is just because you can't block him with one in this situation, especially when he gets off of the head-up nose guard position to where he can really tee off in gaps. 
and his first step's going to be very difficult to deal, deal with. Think not quite as athletic as Isaac Gross, but there's a lot of athleticism there with that twitchiness that he possesses. Joshua Harris is the transfer from NC State. He's a nose guard. He is 320, 330 pounds, mountain of a man, going to be absolutely huge. He is going to play that position to where hopefully between him and J.J. Pegues, that takes up four offensive linemen from the opposing team. The goal is to get both of those players double teamed because you have to. Because if you don't, they're going to be a problem. And that allows Cedric Johnson and Jared Ivey to cook. They just have to win a one-on-one, get after the quarterback, and they can make it happen. I think Jared Ivey is going to be the strong side defensive end. And that's what that is. That That's like the position that whenever Coach Orgeron was here was the Marcus Tillman type position. Whenever you have those two defensive ends and you've got the the athletic one and you've got the sturdy, stable one, I think Jared Ivey is going to be that guy. But he has the athleticism to be sneaky dangerous. I mean, you might see a situation where they run a NASCAR-type package on third and long, and what will happen is Jared Ivey staying on the field for that. You add Isaac Ukwu, you maybe move Jared Ivey in um, to one of the interior positions because he can handle that. And you've got the other players on the defensive line like Isaac Ukwu, You've got Akello Stone. You've got Stephon Wynn. You've got Xavion Harris, who they're handling his matter as an eternal matter, but you figure he'll be good to go um, by the season. You have a legit two deep set up on the defensive line and in that hybrid jack position. Now, if you go back a level to the next level, I do think Monty Montgomery and Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste is going to be the guys that ends up on the field against Mercer. I don't know if they're necessarily starters. you got four guys that can just rotate, and you don't exactly know where one's going to land. But Monty Montgomery has a lot of the traits that Bird Bryant had, Sedarius Bryant, if you can remember back that far. Sedarius Bryant, undersized linebacker, made plays in the backfield, super athletic. Remember, Monty Montgomery was an absolute problem when Ole Miss played in Louisville in 2021. Until he got a targeting penalty, then all of a sudden it opened up a little bit as well. Monty Montgomery is a good athletic linebacker, but him being undersized means you need a thumper a little bit. So that tells me that, hey, I don't think it's Kari Coleman. I don't think it's a Shawnee Seastrunk. Neither one of them are true thumpers. Maybe it's Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste or Jean. I, I, I still haven't figured that out, but... For Mercer, I do think Monty Montgomery, Jeremiah, Jean-Baptiste are going to be the two fitters. Now, whenever you look at that hybrid linebacker-defensive back, the the op- whatever the linebacker and defensive back version of a jack is, that's what this is. And, and this could go multiple different directions that we need to wait and see for Mercer what's going to happen. Pete Golding could decide to go with essentially a linebacker that can cover. And that is what I'm guessing with Ladarius Tennyson. I'd also put like Aishim Young in this position. True thumpers, really physical players that can play well up close to the line of scrimmage. But the other alternative is, and Pete Golding has this ability, is basically putting a third cornerback on the field. And you see somebody like John Saunders move down. Some kind of real long, rangy guys that can play slot corner 
and do that effectively. So I don't know exactly how that hybrid position is going to go. It could be a basically a slot corner. It could be um, a light linebacker, for lack of a better word. But if you have an undersized Monty Montgomery, I don't know if you can put a corner on the field at the same time unless the down and distance kind of judges that to be a necessity. It, this is interesting. This is a very dangerous front seven that Ole Miss has. It, it's just really sneaky good. And we will see whenever the season gets started how, in, how Pete Golding intends to use these players. Again, Cedric Johnson, J.J. Pekis, Josh Harris, and Jared Ivey. That, that is a pretty good starting four on the front. Monty Montgomery, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, and Ladarius Tennyson, these are all guys that have played a ton of football. And then whenever you get back in the secondary, they can literally go three deep with players that played FBS football last year. And that's not even including Justin Hodges, who I don't think is in yet. So we'll see exactly how that goes. When we come back, we are going to get into the viewer mail portion of the program. I do like the viewer mail portion of the program. And we are going to ask the questions, what's the deal with Trey Harris? How's the wide receiver position look like? And does Quinn John Judkins have a chance to make some real, real noise this year? Anyway, stick around. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Subscribe there. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Every dayers, thank you for tuning in. We're going to have Tom Vanderford. We're going to have Brian Smith. We have got an um, interview with Shehan Jiraja um, from CBS Sports this weekend. We've got stuff coming. We've been busy this summer. Um, when lots of people are kind of taking the summer off and kind of recharging the batteries, we, we've been kind of going. And, and because of that, we've been ranked on the iTunes charts. Because of that, we've gone over 4,000 subscribers. Because of the work that we put in, we've been able to grow this brand over the summer at a time when, honestly, you shouldn't have been able to. So we're very, very proud of that. All right, so in viewer mail... Jake Donahue says, what do you think about Quinshawn Jadkins' prospect to become a Heisman finalist? I think he should have been a Heisman finalist last season. I, I, I think he did enough special stuff that people should have been paying attention to him that way. The problem that is happening, the Heisman Trophy is not a running back award anymore. It, it just isn't. It's not a running back award. And that makes me wonder if it's even possible for Quinshawn Jenkins, even if he mirrors what he did last year again, is it even possible for a running back to get on that stage? And we'll see exactly what happens. I don't think it is. I think, I think the Heisman Trophy has become the award for the best quarterback on one of the best teams. And it just kind of is what it is at this point. I think that Quinshawn Judkins has a chance to put up massive numbers, be an extremely dangerous player, um, but I don't know. I, don't, I just don't think he is going to be on the stage for the Heisman Trophy. Now, in this other question, what is the status on Trey Harris? Will he attempt fall camp? Now, I'm going to answer this two different ways, Quaid Man, um, because I think you're asking about Zachary Franklin. 
But I will tell you about Trey Harris. Trey Harris, um, according to him, is 100% healthy. Going through seven on seven, he is going to be there for fall camp. He is going to be the alpha in the room. He is going to have a leg up no matter what happens with Zachary Franklin to be the number one receiver for Ole Miss into the fall. Now, Trey Harris had some very athletic good games. He had one of, the, one of his better games against Clemson at Death Valley last year. He is not a stranger to difficult environments. So I think Trey Harris is going to be a little bit of a dude. And we've put up in the past stats that show him as a contested catch maker. Between him and Zachary Franklin, it's contested catch maker. So we'll see exactly what happens there. Now, Zachary Franklin, the rumor is, and it's twofold, I think it might have been Rebel Grove or one of the sites, I'm not sure exactly which one, um, had some kind of reporting that he needed surgery once he got to Ole Miss and he couldn't even get to Ole Miss um, unless a certain class got passed and he was de deemed eligible or something like that. It's about 15 different questions that they have about that. This is what we know. At the moment, he is not on the roster. This is what we also know. At the moment, people don't seem that concerned that he's going to be on the roster. And here's the other thing that we can speculate on. If he does have to have surgery after he gets to Ole Miss and it has a three- or four-week recovery window, that's going to make it difficult for the beginning of the season. Now, he is going to be 100% ready to go by the time they go to Tuscaloosa. I don't, nobody overlooked that. Everybody's like, well, he's not going to be here for Tulane. Might as well not even come. That, that, that's not true, okay? Not true at all. He'll be ready by the time Alabama comes up on the schedule, LSU. The players that somebody like Zachary Franklin is really needed, he will be available for Ole Miss at that point. Whether he has surgery or not, whether he gets here um, the first day of camp and has that surgery, that means by the Alabama game he'll be ready to go. So I don't know if anybody needs to worry about that too much. Now, here's a situation, and what well, and we see this all the time. Deshaun Gaddy, I'll just use him as an example, okay? Good player. Really good player. But he had an eligibility snafu after the first transfer window, and everybody just forgot about him and just assumed that he wasn't coming. In fact, if they told him, oh, I don't know if he's coming, I don't know if, what's happening with him. And it's because they lost interest. They quit asking the questions. And the reality of the situation is, yeah, Deshaun Gaddy had trouble getting into school, but there was a path to get him there, and he got there. So at the end of the day, those four months of saying, well, I don't know about Deshaun Gaddy, was basically all for nothing. Similar situation, slightly compressed timeline for Zachary Franklin. So we'll see what happens. I, I imagine he is going to show up on the roster and at camp. Um, by this time next week, because camp opens, I think, today um, in seven days. Today is like the last day without football, the last Thursday without football that we're going to have to go through for a while. So we'll pay attention to all of that. But I'm not overly concerned about Zachary Franklin. If something happens, it happens. You still have Aiden Williams, and this wide receiver room has a chance to be really good. In fact, tomorrow we're going to talk about the wide receiver room. So we'll see exactly how that goes. One more time, I do want to remind everybody to subscribe to our Discord channel. 
You can find the link to the invite in the description. It's also pinned on our Twitter profile. And the way this works, we are doing open enrollment essentially during the month of August. Once football season stops, that's going to stop. And it will be invite only in a private board. So if you want to have access to this private board, you've got one month to get it done. And if you do not get it done, it, it, it may not come around again. Um, we want this to be fun. We want to have a good time going on. And during the season, with all the trolls that happen, it is important to restrict access at that point. So if you want to join right now, it is open enrollment. The link is in the description. Sign up, ask a question, do whatever you want to do. Be a full member of everything that's going on. Just know that the week of the Mercer game, that could go away. It just kind of is what it is. So, Anyway, thank you for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and, in fact, available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every single day. Every dayers, thank you so much for being such loyal listeners. Um, later on this weekend, the usual suspects will be on the air. Brian Smith, Tom Vanderford, even Derek Vandegrift, as we're going to talk about the trade deadline that is coming up. Um, for Major League Baseball the next week. It might be a little bit not Ole Miss, but also I think the Detroit Tigers should tra trade for Greg Kessinger. I, I just do it. I'm going to speak that into existence. I think that is an absolutely perfect marriage, and Greg Kessinger can be the shortstop in Detroit for 10 years. So that's something that I'm going to pay attention to. Houston needs pitching. We have pitching. They have Greg Kessinger. Kind of makes a little bit of sense. So we'll see exactly how that goes as well. But until tomorrow, thank you very much for watching. And of course, hotty toddy.